Good morning, everyone. How's it going? It is really good to be back home uh, after being gone for a week. I'm not going to tell you where I was because it was warm there and it's cold here. And cold is stupid. Cold is awesome. I'll preach extra hard towards you today. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, let's, uh, let's pray a little bit if we could. Father, I am, uh, my heart is overwhelmed at your goodness this morning. God, I thank you for your gospel and your son Jesus and his perfect life and his death and his redemption and grace and mercy and love and hope that you have lavished and poured out upon us immeasurably, Father, patiently. God, I thank you so much for Jesus. I pray now as we engage with your word this morning that your truth would ignite our spirits and our souls to action, Father, and your truth would bring us to a point of great love for people, Father, as you have first loved us. God, I pray we would encounter the the beauty and depth of that love and be changed by it. Thank you for Jesus. In his name, amen. Uh, so we're going to be mostly in Philippians chapter 2 this morning. So if you have your Bible, you can, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the back we'd like to let you use today or even take home with you. Um, I want to start with this idea. Every sermon or gospel conversation that I have in my life is hopefully centered around this, this idea, this understanding. Uh, we would come to a place, what would be communicated is that in our own strength, what we have to give to God is failure. And we, we, we cannot live up to what God has called us to do. And so we continually f- throw ourselves onto the grace and mercy of God. And it's, it's such a, a fascinating idea because it's something we can learn today that I can't do what God has called me to do. And as such, I have to throw myself on God's mercy and his grace. But then tomorrow, we, we, we need to learn that same message again. And the beautiful part about the gospel, and I've, I've kind of come to this idea this morning, the beautiful part is that God's gospel is really patient with us. If you have kids, you know what it's like to be patient, and you know what it's like to be impatient when they don't do what they're supposed to do. And I know, and I've, I've seen my, the, the great impatience in my own heart, but when we really look at the gospel and really see ourselves as children of God, we are. We ought to be really grateful for the patience of the gospel. Um, I read this psalm this morning, Psalm 4011 says, as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from us. O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from us. That's really, really good news. And it's, it's really good news, especially with what God has prepared to speak to us this morning. 
because we are great failures at loving people and valuing people. But the good news is he will not restrain his mercy from us and we are in desperate need of it. Uh, It's really good news because to value people the way Jesus did is a challenge and that challenge is unattainable in our own strength and that challenge should drive us to ask God for his mercy and his grace to do what he's called us to do. So, on our website, it says this about valuing people. Well, this first about just valuing in general. We spend on what we value. We have finite resources of time, money, and energy. And what we value predicts how we will spend those finite resources. At North Church, we want to articulate those values consistently and clearly. And it says this about people. I want you to it's, it's on the screen behind me, but I don't want you to, to read this slowly with me. Every person that you and I know is loved by God. Jesus died for them. For those who make you angry or sad to the closest of friends, Jesus died for people. I want you to, I want you to know that. Every person that you've ever encountered, especially the ones that make you really angry, Jesus died for them. Nor church will value people. Every human being has a beating heart and a story that makes them who they are. They all say stupid things and do stupid things and hurt people. Man, I wish we were as patient as Jesus. But at the end of the day, they have a soul that will be with God forever or apart with him forever. Nor church will value people. And we will love people because Jesus did. We're going to talk about three things this morning. Mostly this one. We will love people because Jesus did. Let's read from Philippians uh, chapter 2. Starting in verse 1. Walk slowly through these first uh, five verses here. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, and any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love and being of full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. There's a lot here. Let's walk through this, back through this slowly. This idea of the same mind. Paul's telling the Philippian church and us to be of the same mind. And this idea of the same mind is the state of mind that predicts your response to external circumstances. Paul is calling us to have this mental mindset, these, these lenses on our face, the way we interact with the world is loving people as Jesus loved people. And that is our state of mind that predicts how we respond to external circumstances. Have you ever been crabby? Never. Okay, a lot of times when you're crabby, and a good situation presents itself to you, you reject it, or you don't want to engage it, or you push it away. Yesterday, I was really crabby, and Mia is like the sweetest thing ever, and she comes up to me with her, her pure sweetness, and I'm like, get away. I'm not interested in you right now. Go away. That was my state of mind. It predicted my response to external circumstances. When we're in a good mood, 
The reverse, bad stuff can come to us and we're gentle, we're kind, we're patient. Because this mindset of ours predicts our response to external circumstances. And this is, this is the, big, the big picture idea for what we're talking about this morning is loving people the way that Jesus loved people is the mindset, the thing that predicts our response to external circumstances is the love of Jesus towards people. And we are complete failures at this consistently. I, I, wanna, I want you to think about someone that you just, you really have a severe distaste for. Think of, imagine someone, maybe it's the, in that video you saw the, the guy with the shroud over his face and a knife pointing. What, how do you, how do you, how do, how do you bring yourself to love that guy like Jesus did? How did Jesus bring himself to die on the cross for that guy? Seriously. And for us, maybe it's a, a neighbor or a coworker or or a parent or sometimes a spouse even. The same mind of Christ is that whatever it is that's happening, whatever we're interacting with, Jesus says love, value. The next word that I want to dig into here, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition. This word selfish ambition is translated directly as electioneering. And the, the notion, the idea is you desire to put yourself forward. Like I want you to think of me really good things, whether they're true or not. Think about the idea of electioneering. Think about walking into a, a, a church or a school, wherever it is that you vote. Think about walking in there and, and, and what's happening in the parking lot. What are the people handing you stuff? Hey, look at my guy. He's great. You should vote for him. And you, there's, there's always this, this hint of skepticism there, right? That dude is a freaking liar. I know because Fox News told me he was. And think about that idea of electioneering. And this is, this is here. And think about how repulsive that sort of person is to you. That's always in your face. Hey, look at me. Look at the stuff that I did. And this is like when we see this in full display, it's clearly repulsive to us, right? Somebody who's always electioneering themselves, putting themselves forward. But for us... Tell me it doesn't, doesn't sneak up in subtle, nuanced ways in us all the time. And tell me that doesn't repulse you about someone. You, you're probably even thinking of somebody right now. I am. Who does this all the time. It really frustrates me. But we wind up here. The next word is conceit. And this word is translated as groundless self-esteem. Groundless self-esteem. Think about that. Like, hey, I'm really, really proud of, of myself, and, and like you're not. There's nothing to be. It's groundless. 
Your pride is, is, some people, their pride is, they have grounds for it. But this idea of conceit here is groundless. Then the next one is humility. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. This word is translated as a deep sense of one's own littleness. I didn't realize littleness was a word, but I read it in a dictionary. So it's got to be, I think. Humility is a deep sense of one's own littleness. And this is, again, the, the same mind, the mindset that we are to engage our world with. My own littleness, my own smallness. I want to look at people this way. It's a mental lens. Um, I want you to, to think with me right now about some very simple, subtle things that you can do. Maybe it's opening a door. When we were in Florida last week, I, hope, I told you I wasn't going to say where I was. Sorry. Oh. Uh, when we were in Florida last week, um, we were all inside this little ice cream shop, and Cooper was the last one to come in, and he held the door for like an extended period of time for this older couple walking in. And the, the man, I guess after a while, realized that Cooper was my son, and he walked up to me, and he said, I want you to know what your son just did for me and my wife. He said, we were like several steps away from the door. He noticed us, he looked at us, and he held the door longer than he had to. He, was just, he went out of his way to be kind to us. And like, welled up with pride. I'm like, we really try to teach him that. And he and I had this long conversation about it. But the idea is to, and and holding a door, what big deal, right? Dude could have opened the door for himself. And it didn't cost Cooper a lot to, you know, stand there for an extra 15 seconds. But the idea is, is for us to constantly always be looking for a way where you are more important than me. And, and the, the thing is, these little bitty tiny things don't amount to much. But and they're, they're never going to like argue someone into loving Jesus or, 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 or bring someone into the kingdom. The guy holding, Cooper holding the door for this guy may have changed a, you know, a few minutes for this guy. Maybe it restored hope in the next generation for an older guy, perhaps. <laughs> but it, it's not going to convince him to love Jesus. But the idea is pounding into Cooper. I'm, I'm saying this to him consistently because I want him to live his life looking for ways where he can serve people. And when we hold doors for people, when we write a letter, send a text, when we let someone into our lane in traffic, when we go out of our way to do something kind for someone, this is the sort of humility that God is calling us to. This is what it means to value people. And it's, it's, it's so subtle and simple and seemingly irrelevant in a week or two or whatever that the, the story in Florida at the ice cream shop probably will, will be a distant memory to Cooper and to this older gentleman. But it's, it's pounding it into our heads consistently that someone is more important to us. They get your mind to the right place of thinking of others before yourself 
and ridding yourself of this selfish ambition. And the, the, ultimately, what I'm trying to get to is they begin to teach you to think like Jesus. And that's a, that's a big deal. I want to ask us a, a few questions here. And uh, these questions will also be happening in your, your community groups this week uh, to engage these questions. First, what would it look like for you to look to the interest of others? What, what, would that, what could that look like? If you're writing something down in a journal or, or something, think about this. Maybe write a few things down. What would it look like for you to look to the interest of other people? Very specific. Think specifically what it would look like for you to look to the interest of somebody else. And then do it. And do it with consistency. Do it to put a rhythm in your own brain. Allow that to be the, the lens through which you see the world. Now, I'm going to start. This next question is, is a little bit more incisive. Cuts to the heart. How does the way you spend your time, energy, and money answer this question? Think about the last disposable hour you had. What would you do with it? Think about the last disposable 20 bucks you had. What'd you do with it? Did you, would it be in the humility category? Aware of my own littleness and desire to serve someone else? Or is it in the electioneering category? Let me, like the very beginning of this message this morning, I wanted to land hard on the patience of the gospel and the mercy and grace that we all so desperately need. Because if you're honest with yourself, chances are the answer to that question, how you spent your time, how you spent your energy, how you spent your money, you probably spent it on you. Or someone really close to you that you love a lot, like your kids or your spouse or a good friend. The gospel is patient with us. Because we cannot be this all the time. And that's what God is calling us to. The other thing that it's not specifically spoken in Philippians 2, but it's, it's all throughout the scriptures, is this idea that Jesus gave to people out of his abundance and into their lack. All right? Like, that's who Jesus was. He had stuff in abundance and he gave into someone else's lack. So, what do you have in abundance that you can give into someone's lack? I think where we are is a perfect illustration of this. We are a church without a lot of monetary resources to have our own building. Florson Presbyterian has this great building and they allow us to use it for a ridiculously cheap price. They have abundance and they give into our lack. When they have a, a luncheon or something going on, they come and ask us, hey, would you set our, our room up for us? Totally. Because they're an older congregation, they don't have a lot of energy, a lot of time, a lot of ability. If, if they had to set a room up, it'd exhaust several of their people. But we don't. We have an opportunity to do that. We have an abundance of young people who can do that. 
We give into their lack. It's a give and take. And that's the idea of the life of Christ. And that's what it means to value people, to, to look into them, seek out where it is that they lack, and then connect abundance to, to provide for that lack. So what is it around you and in your life, in your world, in your surroundings that lacks where you have abundance and give there? That's what it looks like to value people. That's what it looks like to love people. And more than that, it's what Jesus has called you to do. Let's move on to verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So the, the first few verses, the first four verses are talking about what we're doing, and now we're looking to Jesus and how he did these things. Have this mind, same, same, same word as before, have the same mind above that we talked about, predicts your response to external circumstances. Now this is what Jesus did, the, the, the state of mind of Jesus that predicted how he would respond to external circumstances. And this is it. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. The New Living Translation is, is, a, is a great translation for this verse. It says, he didn't cling to his rights as God. We're, we're really good, especially, I don't know about we, but I, Rick, am really good at clinging to my rights. This is mine. I earned this. I'm going to hold on to it. Jesus was God. And he left perfection to come to this earth to encounter and love people and serve people that were repulsive to him. And at their most repulsive did he do his greatest act of love. This is the mind, the state of mind that predicted his response to external circumstances that moved Jesus to do what he did. Not just that, but verse 7, he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. He emptied himself, and then he became a servant. This word servant is the Greek word doulos. Some of you ladies who have, are pregnant or have been pregnant lately know what this, this is the same word for doula. You guys know what a doula is, right? One of you ladies who's pregnant, tell me, shout it out. Talk about who, what is a doula? Someone. Anyone. What? A helper. Yeah. Yeah, like her, the, the doula's responsibility is to serve you in a, in a difficult, hard, and trying time. And that, that word is directly from the Greek, which means servant, and which is who Jesus was and what he's calling us to do. Someone else's needs are more important than your own. Do we, can, we, can we ever be that way? Maybe in, in fleeting moments or for periods of time, maybe even for a week, we can only serve people. We can be a doulos as Christ was. The, the specific definition is this, devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interests. What if Jesus had been like us? No thanks, I think I'll stay here in heaven. 
receiving praise and glory and honor and beauty and perfection. But he suffered and died. And he's calling you to that. This is what it means to value people. And the beautiful part about this is that he took it to its end, which was a a brutal death. How far are you willing to go to be a doulos? And I hope that you're honest enough with yourself to say, I'm not willing to go where Jesus went. And then throw yourself on the mercy of God so that he won't give you what you deserve and throw yourself asking for the grace of God so that he can give you what is needed to go and do and be that. Second thing I want to bring us here comes in uh, Philippians 2, 9, is to love people because God's gifts are the result. Look at what, because of what Jesus did, look at what God did. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you know this? Here's here's the thing that I, I, I need you to know. When you love like Jesus loved, you know what God wants to do to you, for you? He wants to just give stuff, give, give you everything. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Look at, look at what God gave to Jesus. Highly exalted, bestowed on him the name is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're so dumb. We, we think that somehow we can gain for ourselves pleasure or joy better than God can. Like, it's the, it's the silly illustration, the, the, you, you put a, a jar with a peanut in it on a monkey, and the monkey will reach in and grab the peanut, but he, he won't let the peanut go, and he can't pull his, his arm out of the jar. Like, apparently, that's a, that's a thing. It's a real thing. I don't know. But, like, it, it's the same idea with us. We, won't, we want to get for ourselves so much that we disregard the Father. Who, do, you, do you know that God wants to give you good gifts? He wants to. He wants to give you good gifts as he gave to Jesus. Let me, let me put it another way. Who would you like to give gifts to you? Me or God? Seriously. It's dumb when you think about that. But the end of it is, like, we, we don't really believe that. Do we? Do we really believe that? No, I'm going to get mine. How? Like, that's disgusting when we hear that. If, if we were to see that, I'm going to get mine. You got to worry about, I'm going to get mine. And that's like, that's the American way. And it's the anti-God way. And it's, it's the worst way. 
Flip over to First John, if you will. We're going to jump around in some First John stuff. And this is, it's been great so far talking about these things. Now it's about to get hard. Love people. The third thing I want us to see is love people because God. I wrote and rewrote this this last third point several times and couldn't come up with anything perfectly. And, and so I just decided to, to stop at God. This, this is like an incomplete sentence. I understand English teachers love people because God. But wait with me a second. Because of who God is, because of all that God is, love people. Love people because God. If you have truly looked upon the wonder and perfect love of God, if you've truly looked upon the wretched failure nature of yourself, and God still loves that, you've just got to love people. Because of who God is, because of his great faithfulness and patience and love and mercy and grace and provision and gentleness and kindness. How can we do anything other than love people? Seriously, if we don't love people, we need to go, go to the Psalms and get a clearer, better picture of who God is and how he loves you. Go to Romans 5 and realize that while you were still a sinner, Christ loved you and died for you. That while you were still, that Romans 3 says, our mouths were as open graves. When your mouth was an open grave towards God, he loved you. Enough to send a son to die for you. It's a really big deal. Watch, here's, here's the other thing. Watch a toddler interact with another toddler and realize that he doesn't have to be taught to to want to hoard his stuff. He doesn't want to. He's got to be taught to share. He doesn't have to be taught to be selfish. Like, if we could go back into the nursery right now and take a toy away from one of the babies and give it to another and watch what happens. Seriously, it's it's fun to chuckle at, but that's that's a mirror right in front of your face. The only reason you don't fight now is because it's socially unacceptable. But ultimately, in your heart, dude, that's mine. And what Jesus is calling us to is, no, that's mine. I gave it to you. Let's look at 1 John, and I think we're going to get punched in the gut a lot. 1 John 2.9 says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever says that he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness. Is that scary to you? Think about that person in your eyes, in your mind, that you were thinking about earlier. That guy in my mind that's the selfish ambition guy. The electioneering guy. I'm a failure. Whoever says that he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness. 1 John 2, 16. 
By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has seen the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? If you didn't just get punched in the gut, you're not paying attention. If anyone has the world's goods and sees that his brother is in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Here's it. A fearful thing about a, a partial understanding of the gospel. We're fully accepted because of the beautiful love of God. It's unquestioned. But to live there and to stay there and to be comfortable in your own sin. First John here is teaching us that that's You might want to rethink things because the beauty and the love and the majesty of God has to change us. Like, is is this a punch in the gut to anyone else but me here? I have the goods of the world and I've seen brothers in need, yet I have closed my heart. So I have to question, how does God's love, does it, does it live in me? And my response to that can be one of three things. One, I can say, oh my gosh, it doesn't, and just... <laughs> or I can say, well, yeah, it really does, it's not a big deal, and forget about it, move on. Or I can throw myself on the mercy of God to say, God, I'm sorry, I'm not who you've called me to be. And then throw myself on the grace of God and ask him to give to me what is not there so that I'm not this anymore. We talk about amazing grace. Save the wretch like me. Yes. But grace is not just for your salvation. It's for now, for here, to go and do and be, to give you what you don't have. First John 4, 19 through 21 We love because he first loved us. Like that that verse is is this sermon in, what, seven words. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Man, I hate when God calls me a liar. Do you? For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. These verses scare me big time. They make me want to repent. They make me want to cry. They make me worry for myself and worry for you. They make me want to beg for mercy and grace because I am not this. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Are, are, we, are we 
Is this ambiguous in any way? This verse. This commandment we have from God. If you love him, you must also love your brother. And that's hard. And you can't. And you won't. But as I said at the beginning, God's gospel is patient. Oh, I'm so grateful that he's patient with us. Let us pray and let the Holy Spirit work. You are beautiful, God. And I am not. God, I ask you now for mercy for me and for us. God, do not give me what I deserve. And I ask for grace instead to give me what I don't deserve. God, give me grace to serve. To do little things like hold the door. To do big things like give my life, my time, and my money away. As you did first. God, mostly, I'm just grateful for your, your patience with us. Guide us now as we respond in Christ's name.